Hey there, you're listening to Frequency Conversations, the podcast about the kingdom of God invading every space in every way. My name is Jeshua. I'm your host, sitting down with Julian and Katia Adams, as always, and today we're talking about gender equality. It's a great episode. We get to dive a little bit into Katia's new book, Equal, and I ask her questions about egalitarian versus complementarianism and what she really believes about gender equality in church leadership and in marriage. Um, we talk about decision making in marriage and how Julian and Katia actually walk that out. And we talk about feminism. It's a really great episode, kind of controversial, but really good. Hope you enjoy. And if it all during this episode, you're interested in getting a copy of Katia's book, you can find it at frequentsee.org equal. Enjoy. Alrighty, so welcome back to the Frequency Podcast. As always, it's good to have Julian and Katia both here with us. Um, today we're talking about Katia's new book, Equal, well, whoop, whoop. somewhat about <laughs> it, um, but I wanted to, to take it from a few different angles um, today, just as we talk about the topic of gender equality. Um, but to start off, Katia, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about this book and why you're so excited about it. Sure, I can do that. Um, so Equal is a book that really aims to cover every part of the gender equality debate in the church in terms of the role of men and women, what we are allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. Um, and really the way I've written it is um, it's pitched so that um, the average church member would be able to read it and engage with it. Um, I've read so many books on the subject of gender equality um, from a theological perspective and lots of them, I mean brilliant books, but lots of them feel more like reference works so that mm. um, they just come across uh, too academic and so whilst I've enjoyed reading them, uh, I've been really aware that for the majority of Christians, both because of time and because it's not not everyone's area of special interest it's difficult to get through a really scholarly work on this um, and so I wrote the book really wanting to engage with every Christian because I really believe the subject of gender equality in the church isn't simply a women's ministry issue mm. but really is a whole gospel issue so I wanted to write it in a way where every Christian uh, would be able to engage with it and would find it inspiring readable um so yeah, so it covers basically the gender equality debate in the church from every angle, mm. pretty much possible. So yeah. I've covered all of the texts that come up in um, gender equality debates uh, from a theological perspective. I've really tried hard not to shy away from um, anything that would be seen as difficult or controversial, but mm -hmm. I wanted to include absolutely everything in terms of the texts, as well as broader themes that often are associated with the gender equality debate. So uh, there's a chapter in the book on 
gender and the Trinity and how that might, um, how we view the Trinity might impact how we view how men and women work together. Mm. Um, there's a chapter in the book on um, what God created in Eden and the glimpses that we see on into eternity with the question of what was um, the role of men and women in Eden and what does it look like in eternity to give us an understanding of what it might look in the present age. So, so there's lots of different kind of angles in the book um and when i was writing it i really felt this um this sense of wanting to bring all of the topics together so that the book could be like a one-stop shop for people mm. that you could get the book read it easily um but with enough kind of um references to academic works in the book so that it is reliable it's not just a book full of my own experiences and opinions um, and then once you've read the book, it, I wanted people to have a sense of having engaged with all aspects of the topic and being able to then make a decision um, because they feel confident that they've read all aspects of the debate. So, yeah, wow. there's a, Sounds there's like a, a big three task. minute summary on the book. <laughs> it was a big task. It was difficult to pitch and that's why it's taken so long to write. But I, I really yeah. do feel now um, confident that that this is a good book, yeah. that it will serve the body of Christ well. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing about it for someone who's not academically trained is that it is readable, engaging, and mm. empowering. That's the most important mm. thing for me. It, it gives you tools to actually figure out some difficult things around the arguments and some of the biblical texts for yourself, which awesome. is what I love about the book. Yeah. Thanks, Lev. <laughs> All right, so a little bit of a... A spoiler for our listeners, they're probably already wondering what you actually believe um, <laughs> on the topic. Can you, you talk about egalitarianism and complementarianism, and there may be some people who may not know what those terms mean. What are those terms, and what do you both believe um, about them? Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is something that is covered somewhat in the book. Mm. Uh, um I would say just as a general, titles in the body of Christ tend to be helpful and unhelpful in equal measure. Helpful mm. because it allows us to um, engage in conversation without having to constantly talk about all of the details of the different groups that we're referencing. And so it gives a kind of shorthand way <laughs> of referencing different belief systems. But it's unhelpful because obviously not everybody will fit into a belief system in exactly the same way. And this is definitely true of the terms egalitarian and complementarian. Um, in short, um, and this is a very broad definition, but in short, complementarians believe that uh, men and women are created equal in value before God and they have the same worth before God, mm. but they have been created with different inherent authority. And so men are created uh, to lead in a way that women are not. And in fact, complementarians would see that there are some roles um, in the body of Christ that women are prohibited from. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got egalitarians. Again, this is a very broad group. <laughs> Not everyone believes exactly the same thing, but broadly speaking, egalitarians would believe that men and women are, yes, created equal in value, but also created equal in authority, which would mean that they are able to function 
in the same roles in the body, even if their expression is to be different in terms of men being men and women being mm-hmm. women. Um, so I kind of see it as um, men and women are both allowed to be parents. Um, but obviously women become mothers and men become fathers. So there's a male and female expression of the same role. Um, and that would be closer to how egalitarians would, would approach the debate. Um, and here's the spoiler alert in case anyone was wondering. I would find myself more in the egalitarian camp than the complementarian camp. So there's the conclusion of the book if you wanted a, a yeah. one-minute summary there. <laughs> I think what I love about the conversation around various views to do with complementarianism and egalitarianism is that um, for us, in terms of our view of being egalitarian, we're not talking same. It's not that we're merging gender. It's that actually we see um, incredible grace to be a woman. It's the way God created um, women to be and grace on men. It's the way God created men to be. And actually, we were just having this conversation the other day that one of the things I love about being married to Cathy is that we fit perfectly together. Mm-hmm. It's our, it's who Cathy is as a woman that perfectly fits with me as a man that gives mm-hmm. us equal authority um, and equal value, which is super beautiful and makes for a very exciting and happy marriage. Yeah. I think um, a few years ago, I don't know if we're going to cover this later, but I'm going to jump in with it now, yeah, Josh, if that's go okay. Yeah, a few years ago, long before I thought about writing the book, but when I was kind of early on in stepping out in ministry, um, God gave me this incredibly powerful dream that has stayed with me and really has shaped so much of how I minister today. And um, in the dream, I saw myself in a hospital setting. I'm um, a a medical doctor by profession uh, before I kind of got into full-time vocational ministry. And so in the dream, I saw myself back in the hospital in the emergency room going about my everyday work. Um, and as I was doing my work in the dream, I looked down and I saw that I um, the badge that I had chosen to put on that day didn't have my name on it, but it actually had a man's name on it. Hmm. And it became one of those dreams where kind of panic becomes the whole theme of the dream. Yeah. And I just kept thinking to myself, I, I'm a doctor myself. Why did I pretend to be a man? Someone's hmm. going to catch me. And when they catch me, they'll throw me out. And there was this sense of... Well, kind of disbelief that I had pretended to be a man for that day for no apparent reason because I knew I had the qualifications under my own name but I had chosen to wear this man's badge and the whole Mm. thing felt like someone's going to figure out that this is illegitimate because I am not this man and I woke up in a state of panic and I um felt God speak to me so powerfully um, and just say, what I've called you to do, you must do as a woman, not as a man. If Mm. you ever do it as a man, it will become illegitimate. And what I understood him saying in that moment was that he's given me authority as a woman. He's called me as a woman. There's things that he's been very specific in speaking to me about and calling me for. Um, But all of those things, I must be aware that he has called me as a woman, that me being female is an important expression that God has put in me. And I must never try to dumb that down um, to to fit in better in a male leadership environment. I must never try to somehow assume a more masculine way of doing things Mm. um, so that 
I'll look less feminine because sometimes, honestly, when you're the woman in the room in a ministry context, you feel like you stick out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. And there's such a temptation to dumb it down, to be less feminine, don't wear the makeup or whatever it is that makes, you know, women have different expressions of their femininity. But for me, the temptation would be, you know, wear clothes that are a little bit less feminine or look less girly. But I'm so aware that God gave me the call he did as a woman and he doesn't want me to pretend to be more masculine mm -hmm. than I am. And I want to jump in and yeah. say to your husband for that, I'm very grateful <laughs> <laughs> because you're so beautiful. <laughs> Carry on, sorry. Um, so yeah, so I think um, that's, that is definitely the heart of the book, isn't to say mm. um, let's blur the lines between male and female as if male and female doesn't matter, but rather let's understand that both male and female have equal authority for the roles yeah. in the body, for leadership roles in the body, but the way they express these roles will look different based on whether they are male and female. Mm -hmm. So they have equal opportunity for every leadership role in the body, I believe, but the the way we work out those roles will look different uh, based on our gender. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I know your book um, in general f definitely gears itself towards the ministry and ministry world. But you, I know that you believe that um, this topic is important for society as a whole. Um, I have this quote from your book. It says, far from accelerating the decline of our generation, I believe egalitarian theology may well prove to be an antidote. Yes. Um, why do you think this is important for society as a whole? I believe the, the church on all matters has the privilege to lead the conversation in order to bring the world to wholeness. Uh, I believe that's what it means for, for God to put his spirit and power in us and to put us in a place of leadership above the principalities and powers. That's, that's the mandate on the church is to shape and to rule and to influence. And the problem for me in the area of gender equality is that you know, the church, with all the discussions and debates that is going on inwardly, hasn't been the clear voice of um, influence and impact to the world on gender equality. Mm. In fact, in many circles, we're trailing far behind. Yeah. Uh, the problem, fr from my perspective, is when the church doesn't come with a clear um, voice of what God intended, then the world will fill the vacuum with its own ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think we are seeing that playing out in an incredible way in our generation. Um, and, you know, you've got um, militant feminism on one side. And uh, I, I would... Um, sympathize with a lot of feminist thought. Um, lots of feminists would say what makes them a feminist is that they believe men and women are equal. It, with that definition, I would sympathize with feminism mm -hmm. wholeheartedly. However, there's an arm of feminism that's, that is militant and actually is much broader in ideology than simply men and women are equal. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the militancy of that arm is unhelpful and doesn't lead to the beautiful kingdom um, expression that the Bible teaches. Uh, but because 
the church has created a vacuum mm. instead of bringing a clear voice for the freedom and equality and value and authority of both men and women i think actually feminism has sprung up in the place of that void um equally i think there mm. is i mean um the research today says that women are the most oppressed people on the planet if you're going to you know subcategorize humanity into different groups mm -hmm. women would be the most oppressed the reality of that is that the church hasn't been a strong voice against the oppression of women because we've consistently sent the world mixed messages on whether women really are fully equal to men you know we can keep talking oh women are equal in value but when we make them um lesser in terms of authority in terms of opportunity in terms of what they're allowed to do then the world starts hearing those things as less value it's difficult yep. to see um when someone has less authority and is just not allowed to do nearly as much to see them as equally equal in value yeah. those things yeah, don't totally. tend to marry up and so um, because of that, because of the mixed messaging from the church, again, there's this vacuum where the world is making up its own ideas. So once on one extreme, you've got militant feminism. On the other extreme, you've got this horrific oppression to women mm. going unchecked. And so because of all of this, I believe this is far more than simply a um, question for women in ministry or a um, kind of a, a hobby project for women who want to think more deeply on theological yeah. issues. This isn't that. This is a gospel issue because this is the church being all it was intended to be so that we can shape and we can lead on cultural issues, on day-to-day -day issues for the world. And also ultimately becomes a gospel issue because if the church keeps telling women that they should be doing less than they are and there's a ceiling on them, then we will stop producing women like Jackie Pullinger and Heidi Baker, mm -hmm. women, women who have literally shaped the course of nations because of how they preach the gospel. Well, if we start telling our girls are the next generation actually women really aren't allowed to do these things then the gospel mission will be compromised because you'll be taking out half of the missionaries that god yeah, intended on absolutely. the earth and that's a problem mm -hmm. more than half the missionaries because when yeah. you look at the stats and more women yeah. on the mission field than there are men yes. which is mm -hmm. uh, quite telling in, in and of itself um i think at the end of the day though if we don't reclaim this if we don't um understand what it means for us to get a prophetic voice into the issue around women, uh, we could miss the purposes of God for yet another generation. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's that important. And wherever you see, certainly for me, my mandate as a man, God spoke to me at the age of 18 to make sure that the prophetic always makes room for women. Hmm. And you see that in Scripture. It is the one gift that makes way for women to be all that they're called to be. Mm. And uh, we've got to model that directly and correctly yes. if we're going to see a significant change for the sake of the gospel yeah. right. and for the glory of God. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. How do you guys deal with this on a practical level mm -hmm. in marriage, first of all? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, um, Women, be silent. <laughs> the funny thing is, even the most complementarian um, people in terms of a theological perspective often end up having relatively egalitarian marriages. And the reason yeah. for that is um, 
one person always being in charge of the other doesn't tend to make for happy marriages. <laughs> and, yep. And so really? you, you'll find that, yeah, funny enough. that one. Um, so you'll find that although people may be complementarian on paper, in how they work out their marriages, uh, they may listen to this podcast and think, oh, wow, we, we do our marriage very similarly to how Julian and Katia do. Well, that the reason for that is it's much it's a much happier environment for marriage where it's give and take. And when one person isn't always the one who um, is in charge, who the other has to submit to. Mm. Um, and so for us, practically speaking, I mean, yeah, we can tell you lots of stories, but uh, do you want to jump in? Yeah, <laughs> just to say, whenever people ask this question, I'm immediately thinking of uh, my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> <laughs> the question is posed to someone and they say, well, you know, your father might be the head of the home, but the mother then says, I am the neck that moves the head. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's often the image that I get when people ask the question, so how do you practically work this out? Because we think it's about headship, but the reality is for Kathy and I, the only head of our marriage is Jesus. Yeah. And, and so there's no needing to neck move, there's no needing to manipulate, there's no yes. needing to um, withhold in order to get one's way. Uh, I mean, the implications from your sex life to how you parent to how you spend your money are all caught up in a clear understanding of what it means to be mutually submitted to one another in the fear of God and in submission to Christ mm. who is the head yes. of the body. And... Um, Ultimately, my identity before I am a husband is as a son of God. Kathy's identity as a, a woman is as a daughter of God. And we work that together in the way that we are um, husband and wife together. Yeah. I mean, I think for um, just seriously, practically on a day-to-day, -day, we would um, lean in on each other's gifts. So there's areas that Julian is much better than I am. Um, mm in the area of finance and administration, which actually, if some of Julian's friends from way back are Shocking listening, <laughs> he might be surprised, but Julian is actually an incredible administrator and is much better at me than, than that. So I would lean in on his gift. I would trust his strength in those areas. And so if we're making big financial decisions or um, decisions of kind of day-to-day -day organizing of our lives, uh, I tend to submit to Julian on those things because he, he's just better at it than me. And it would be ridiculous for um, you know me to say, oh, you've got to submit to me on this, on areas that I'm not very good at, because actually that would be the lowest... Um, you know, the lowest common denominator being the one to lead rather than the highest mm. one. You want the best gift at the forefront, not just the one agenda at the forefront and yeah. the same is true of my strengths yep. you know the things that i'm strongest at and it's not just the typically girly things of you know feeding the children is my responsibility <laughs> yeah. or cleaning the home it is the wide range of responsibilities i i'm i'm better at risk taking generally than julian is i like it's, to do the due diligence <laughs> make sure we're okay my administration gift apparently yes <laughs> so in moments where we feel like god is really stretching us and asking us to take crazy steps forward in discussions i tend to take the lead and in moments where we need to come to a decision and if we're slightly unsure between us what we should do we tend to lean on my gift in that area even though many people would say what the man should be leading big faith mm. decision moments but it's 
I'm stronger in there at that area. That is a, a bigger gift for me. And so we tend to lean in on my gift in those moments. And the reality is, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, just to say, it is a, we're both working this out in terms of our level of faith together. Yes. So when we make the decision, we're both in faith, yes. stepping up and stepping into it. And I think we doing this consistent dance with one another yes. to figure out who needs to lead in the moment rather than trying to define every aspect of our marriage because ultimately we have to submit again to Jesus in this. We're, yes. we're praying through it. We're saying, hey, yeah. what are you feeling? What am I feeling? Let's chat that through. Okay, where's the bigger faith moment? Let's lean into that. Let's go for that. Yes. And, and the reality is when we do it like that, we both own the decision once it's made um, because because it's a faith journey, once I'm lent on Julian's gift and said, okay, love, I'm submitting to you, then that decision becomes our decision so that there's never a moment in the future where it's like, you led on this and it went wrong. No, no, we we agreed together in faith to lean on each other's gifts. And that means we own decisions together. We celebrate the victories together. We own the the mistakes together. Um and it makes for a really fun adventure in how we do decision making and how we lead our everyday lives. Um, it it it's a beautiful for us has been a really beautiful experience of mm. uh, leaning on one another yeah. rather than Julian consistently saying the buck stops with me. This is what we're doing. Um, yeah, this is definitely a happier way to do the day to day. Also, I think there are some unique things that I'm finding in terms of our parenting. That only Katia can do, that only I can do. Yes. And depending on the season that we're in with the kids will depend on how we make decisions about the kids and who leads in that Mm. moment. Yeah. Um, uh, The other thing, just on a purely practical level, is like I never babysit the kids. (laughs) uh, Because babysitting is a hired position. (laughs) I'm not hired to be um, my kids babysitter I'm a a dad so when I'm looking after our kids I'm parenting it's a biblical responsibility it's never been Katya's job to clean the nappies and to or the diapers as the Americans say it it has always been sharing our responsibilities parents and then sharing and discussing the emotional need of any child at any given moment yeah. mm. and how we lead in that moment. There are moments when my daughter needs me or Katya more so than my son and how we arrange our time, our diary, then works around that to fulfill those needs. And I yeah. think that is really important. Um, I want to say to dads who are listening, um, depending on your job situation and your stage of life and where you're at, it is your responsibility to parent your kids. Yes. It is your responsibility to be dad. It's your responsibility to love, care, change nap- nappies and diapers, do all the stuff that you're supposed to do. It's never just a one-person job. Yes. And I think it's really important that the body of Christ is seen to be modeling healthy um, parenting uh, in order to liberate a generation again mm-hmm. um, for freedom's sake. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, this is it. It's quite a funny thing because it um, when we start um, talking about this with other people, and when people see how we we're modeling our life, we tend to come up against 
um, assumptions and preconceptions mm-hmm. that are so deeply ingrained in oh, our culture yeah. and in our yeah, society. Totally. Um, and even people who would be like, you know, we're totally egalitarian. Of course, we believe men and, men and women are equal, equal in the family, in the workplace, all of that. Even then, you know, when we start talking about if it's a question of call between one or another and who's going to take care of the kids, generally there's this ingrained idea in society. Well, obviously, the mums will need to take care of the kids for a while. And that becomes an interesting question of what, why is that the obvious assumption? Why Mm. is it the automatic, um, if there's a need in the family, well, clearly the wife is to sacrifice her role for a season. And and really the way Julian and I have uh, walked this through has has kind of probably caused offence quite a few moments for (laughs) people. Not probably, love. (laughs) It has. Just even, I mean, really practically, the last season of me writing the book, the kind of the last six months of the book writing got super intense um, and I find that I need to be immersed in a project to be able to flow easily in it and so eventually we made the call that Julian would be much more hands-on with the family in those six months um, and really took the lion's uh, share of the role at home so that I would be able to write the book and and that is so countercultural. I'm so aware that for many people that that just doesn't sound right, it doesn't feel mm. right that a husband yeah. would sacrifice his his call and his moment in the workplace in order to take care of the children so that the wife could flourish in the workplace that but the reality is when we're mutually submitting to each other, which is the biblical precedent in Ephesians 5, and when we're genuinely coming to a place of saying, no, women and men carry equal authority and their their voices, their roles are vital in both sides, not just really the men's is more important, mm-hmm. uh, then you have to start making question, making decisions in the home and in a family space that would reflect that belief system. Mm-hmm. And, and and that hits hard against the assumption that women must be the ones who pick up the family care side of things yeah. when there's a question of career path. I, yeah. I think the, the important thing to remember around this kind of a discussion is call. Like, I, I think if, if, a, if a mother feels called to stay at home yes. and look after kids, we celebrate that. Absolutely. If a father Peaceful. feels called, as some of my <laughs> friends are, called to stay at home and look after kids, we celebrate yes. that. It, mm-hmm. It's an Peaceful. issue of call yes. and rather than an issue of function. Yes. Um, and I think when we get that right, we're going to see happiness and a thriving family that is being released around a value system that is reflective of what heaven's really like. Right. Yes. Um, and I think that's so important. So for, for the way Kathy and I do our call, there are times where Kathy is traveling and I'm looking after the kids and vice versa, simply because we're facilitating each other's call. Uh, we're not facilitating a position. We're facilitating a call. or yes. We're not facilitating a function. We're facilitating a call. And I think the beautiful thing is that the Bible calls us to be like Jesus in, in mm. all of this, that he didn't count equality as something to be grasped, but came in as a servant. And I think when we understand that the issue of equality is best expressed in serving one another, yes, you see something so beautiful break open in the way that you're expressing your love for each other. And so for me, I love serving my wife. 
And the beautiful thing is I know that Katya loves serving me. Yes. And so our call has <laughs> been worked out in a beautiful way because what we're not trying to do is hold on to a position. Yes. We're taking on a posture of love towards each other, which facilitates each other's call. Yeah. And what I would say, just in case we're misunderstood, is that we both have such a high value on parenting. Yeah. Mm. Um, I consider it one of the greatest privileges of my we life to it. be a mother. Yeah. And I, um, I, I don't despise that role that God has given me whatsoever. We celebrate I it. love, love, love being a mom and I celebrate it. And the reality is our kids get a lot of both of us actually because of the wonderful way that we get to do ministry we don't take that for granted at all because I get to spend a lot of time with my children and do ministry which is amazing Mm. I think what we're both trying to say is that we do not think it's biblical to fix someone into a straitjacket role Mm. simply because of their gender we don't see that reflected in scripture. And whilst that might make for a more clean cut, clear, uh, defined marriage where you know every day what each person is going to be doing and how each person is going to be doing it, I guess that creates clarity and makes things simpler in one way. But we don't feel like that actually reflects um the multicolored and multifaceted way God wants to do things mm. with us. And we've definitely found, although it is more complex, to be more flexible and fluid and to, in different moments, lean on one another's gifts and strengths and kind of take turns in leading depending on the moment and depending on our own um, abilities. Um, whilst that's more complex, it certainly uh, leads to incredible fruitfulness mm-hmm. as a family and, and blesses our kids and our marriage in a remarkable way. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like whilst it's costly and complex, the connection factor is so beautiful. Yeah. Like for, for Katya and I, I feel like because we're discussing everything in a way that isn't, um, isn't hierarchical or, or authoritative in a weird kind of yes. way, mm-hmm. means that we come at things in a way that's looking for connection with each other, looking yeah. for connection around the purpose and call of our family and what that looks like, what's best for us in this season, how do we do that in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I feel like the cost is great, but the connection yeah. sure is sweet and beautiful. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me from the first time I met you guys was the way that you parent. And <laughs> I remember going to a ministry trip where Katia was speaking and Julian had spent some time in the back dealing with the kids and the looks that he got from people were hysterical. Um, And even just going back there with him and having people come over and smile as if it was cute that Julian was (laughs) watching the kids. But it, it it is a different way, even for me as someone who grew up in what would have been considered a relatively um, egalitarian church community that was still surprising for me of like, oh, wow, there's a man in the back watching his kids while his wife preaches up a storm up there on stage. It's awesome. And you guys model it. You do more than just write about it and talk about it. You model it for people. And yeah, it's amazing. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Frequency Conversations on Gender Equality. 
Just as a reminder, this episode wasn't meant to be a theological discussion. All of Katia's thoughts on the theology around gender equality can be found in her book, Equal, which again, you can find at frequency.org equal. And if you're looking for more resources other than the book, we've got a lot of stuff on our website. Uh, you can click the resources tab and then find the button that says equality. It will filter out all of our resources on the gender equality topic. We've got some teachings in there, some blog posts, and some videos. Thanks again for listening.